Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today on the episode, we're going to be exploring women's joint health and how we might make our joints younger. My guest today is Dr. Angela Cortal. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm really interested to um, talk about this because, you know, there's just such this um, kind of thought process around aging and that our joints have to age and, and that, you know, there's nothing we can do about it and osteoarthritis and, you know, oh, my joints are just going to get worse. And I'm thinking that you're going to help us shatter some of those uh, mindsets. All of them. I actually okay. have a, a talk that I give to uh, other doctors at conferences that the title of the talk is osteoarthritis. It's not just wear and tear. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think maybe what would be super helpful is if you could tell us a little bit about you, what you do and like what got you interested in joint health. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, I'm Dr. Angela Cortal. I'm a naturopathic doctor in Oregon. And uh, that may not sound like the kind of person that's out here cheerleading joint pain and joint health. Someone might think of like um, in a more uh, osteopathic or chiropractic kind of field. Uh, And so how I got to this is my own history with a joint injury, a skiing accident, a surgery, uh, many, many years of pain and feeling like I went through quote unquote, the system. And I was a good patient, a compliant patient. I did everything and was still left with a lot of pain and weakness and feeling like I was a very old person, even though I was in my twenties. And Uh, And I've always been interested in science and went through um, my medical training, really just wanting to help people and and not even really focusing on myself and my issues at, at, at that point going through training. But certainly when I was in practice thinking, okay, I'm not even 30 yet and just barely, barely hanging in there as far as like my knee function was going, like could barely do yoga thinking, all right, if I do nothing, this is not going to get better over my decades to come. This is, this is, this is going to get worse. And, um, and so just putting together my education, the research I could find at the time, I was just literally hitting PubMed, looking up research articles, like what is there? What, what have I not found? What have I not looked into when it comes to osteoarthritis, chronic joint pain, and just kind of slowly putting the pieces together of there's really a lot more going on. This is actually a very dynamic, uh, uh, d- dynamic condition. There's a lot of endocrinology. There's a lot of systemic and inflammatory influences. This this is not just this joint is falling apart on us. Let's throw up our hands. There's nothing nothing we can do about it. 
So putting that information together and pretty much applying it to myself and then using it with my patients and seeing that, yeah, there, there's big factors, there's big influences that we can find for people that really just shift that whole process from a degenerative process to a regenerative process. So I was wondering, you know, because I'm just thinking of our listeners, you know, endocrinology, systemic, those are, you know, they, they're probably like, uh, who did what now? Um, <laughs> so I thought maybe um, we could kind of break this, break this down a little bit, because most people, like, as you said, think of joint health as like a decline and a wear and tear of the joints over time. Um, so maybe you could speak to like, you know, what is endocrinology? What, what does like systemic inflammation mean? And like, maybe speak to like, how are those things involved with joint health? The re- yeah. Yeah, like the reader's digest version, <laughs> the cliff notes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how I think about it is, uh, well, the, the, the ongoing perspective, the common perspective is that we're hyper-focused on that joint. Uh, what is the, what does the cartilage look like in that joint? Is that joint bone on bone? And, and just that uh, yes or no is about all the, all the thinking that often goes into it and also how we stage someone's diagnosis, the, basically the label we're giving you, which means what, what might be recommended as a medications, physical therapy, surgery, without looking at the fact that that joint does not exist in a vacuum. (laughs) There are not just joints walking around there out there outside of people. We are complex beings. There's a lot going on from, um, from our hormone levels, from our metabolism, from how you're breaking down uh, your daily foods, Um, if there's any deficiencies in your diet and again, hormone levels, if those are deficient, um, there, there's really a lot of key nutrients and things that we can assess things that we can test that we know have a huge impact on whether or not you are giving your own joints, the building blocks they need to build themselves back up again. That that's the essence of regeneration in my book. And, um, and, and with inflammation, that's a big topic. It is complex. Um, there, there's a lot going on. So I really just think about how someone is handling between them, their genes, and the environment. Uh, it, is there a chronic inflammatory condition going on? Is their body really just struggling to process, whether that's foods or medications or if there's some sort of environmental, you know, air or water, or, or we know how damaging um, plastic compounds, for example, can be to our hormone levels. So there can be a lot to that topic, but I just think of what is someone's overall health as it relates to the, the, the known factors when it comes to joint regeneration, that is, that is, that that's the essence of what I'm cheerleading about is that there are known factors. We know them, they exist. We can figure out whether or not this is going on for someone to see, okay, is this a part of why your joints are aging, aging prematurely aging when you hit menopause or some other sort of hormonal shift, like they're, 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 it's, it's figure outable. <laughs> Which is very hopeful. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I obviously, I kind of take a very holistic approach in my practice from a physical therapy perspective. I mean, you know, I certainly refer out, but I certainly talk about, you know, the importance of sleep, uh, stress management, uh, the food and water that they intake. And, and, and sometimes I kind of get glossed over eye looks of like, why are you talking to me about this, like my knee hurts, like, isn't there an exercise that, that I should be doing? And like, yes, there is. And that exercise is going to impact the way fluids move and, and where the pressure it, it, it communicates to our immune system. Where do we need more cushion? Where do we need more lubrication? Where do we need more regeneration? But those processes can be stalled if, like you said, you don't have the right building blocks, like if I don't have the good nutrients, well, how is my body going? Where's it going to pull the energy? Where's it going to pull the things it needs to actually rebuild tissue? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and so then those healing processes that our bodies can do, we, we know our, our bodies have an amazing capacity to heal. They just need the right environment. They need the right building blocks. They need the right uh, information to do so. And if someone isn't exercising or has a chronic nutritional or hormonal deficiency, they just may not heal those chronic sites of injury. I mean, I see it with patients that have an injury or a degenerative change that's, you know, years or five to 10 or sometimes decades long, like they've had a chronic ligament in, uh, injury for 20 years. And the fact that they also had a hormonal deficiency for that whole time meant uh, to me that that was a very important piece of why their body wasn't healing. Right. Could you maybe speak to maybe a little bit just a more in depth in terms of like nutrition and hormones? Like how does, how does that sort of impact our joint health? And, and maybe at the same time, you know, speaking to how like for a woman, how like, because we have different hormones than men. And so like how that piece kind of plays in. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not the most intuitive or, or intuitive given, given the kind of general messaging that we get around joints, which uh, if anyone went to their orthopedic surgeon or rheumatologist, probably nutrition wouldn't come up and probably hormonal uh, evaluation and treatment wouldn't come up. But for me, I find it so impactful and that it just makes sense. Like our, our joints have building blocks to them like every other part of our body. And that so when it comes to nutrition, um, a couple of key things I look at is uh, protein intake. Is there adequate protein intake? Um, for the most part, in, in my experience, it's often a matter of a protein deficiency, someone just literally not eating enough, um, not just that day, but, but ongoing day in and day out, uh, rather than an excess protein that's possible. And so I don't want anyone out there to kind of go overboard if you're not clearing it by a medical professional. But that being said, the, the issue when it comes to protein that I'm seeing is under eating much more commonly, again, in my experience, women, maybe just low appetites or maybe receiving some sort of low calorie, low fat, lean meat only um, diet messaging. And, and what that can just lead to is a chronic pattern of under eating. 
If you're not taking in enough of those protein building blocks every day, your joints will not have enough to regenerate. That's, that's what they need. So joint tissue, ligaments, tendons, those are just little connective tissue pieces that kind of hold, hold the skeleton together, keep everything moving. And they all require protein. They also require specifically collagen. And so that in, in recent years has become a very popular uh, supplementation and often for this exact reason. Some people are taking collagen for skin or hair or nails. I've seen some types of collagen advertised for that. Um, in my practice, I would say that, that patients are often seeing if collagen is helpful specifically for joint aches and pains. And so when we get down to, if, if we were to take a microscope and look at those, uh, the joint cartilage, the ligaments, the tendons, really, really specifically, we would see there's actually a lot of very specific amino acids kind of all, all bunched together in fibers. Those are the collagen fibers. And so they have a unique amino acid profile. And that's why collagen is very often used, even, even for people who eat meat and love meat and, uh, and they're eating that or eggs every day. They're, they're maybe not protein deficient, but that collagen has a has a unique amino acid profile there, so that that's why it's um, commonly used. In my view, I think of it as a as a protein supplement that's just a, has a slight specific uh, angle there. Um, other things dietarily that I look at are <clears throat> is there is there things that can be interfering dietarily that interfering with uh, joint health regeneration recovery. And the, the most common avenue I would say that I go down with patients is assessing their metabolic health. So that's how you're sort of breaking everything down and using it for energy, um, breaking foods down, using that for energy. And insulin resistance is an extremely common condition um, out there in, in the US, in Canada, in every modernized country. And that um, if someone does have insulin resistance, that can well, for one, it's a, it's a, how, how I would describe it as a hormonal imbalance, a hormonal regulation problem that has uh, at its core, how our bodies process glucose. That's the, the sugar from the carbohydrates in our meals, how our bodies are using insulin. And that's the hormone that sort of bosses the glucose around, tells it what to do. And um, although this sounds perhaps kind of technical and, and what the heck would insulin have to do with anything anyways, for a lot of people, this, this is the underlying reason for high blood pressure or um, uh, high glucose, high blood sugar, um, even, even high cholesterol. And why we're, why we're talking about this in a, in a talk on joints is that that insulin resistance can lead to high insulin levels that are very irritating and actually it's sort of they spill over into the joints um, so there can be a high insulin micro environment so just within the joints they can have high insulin and joints don't like insulin <laughs> they, they don't they don't need it they don't want it and and it's a pretty irritating substance so part of figuring out if someone has a metabolic condition has insulin resistance is important for me over the long term because we're not just talking about getting someone's joints better for, you know, this month. We're talking about lifelong. So lifelong, we gotta, we gotta figure out if there's any uh, hormonal patterns there that, that we have to address. Um, and, then, and then jumping from that uh, into other hormones, I mentioned insulin is a hormone, but the others that we more commonly think of as hormones <laughs> are thyroid, estrogen, and testosterone. Those are some of the top ones as far as 
my work with patients and my my read of the literature that are important in joint uh, joint recovery, building up the the joints. So if any of those are deficient, so thyroid, estrogen, testosterone, then someone's regeneration of that joint of that articular cartilage, if we're getting on a really specific level, is going to be slowed. Is going to be compromised. Um, so. So part of that is me putting my naturopathic doctor hat back on. <laughs> Not that I take it off, but but taking that slant of, is there anything else that that this person is saying to me that makes me suspicious of uh, low thyroid, low, low estrogen, low testosterone? Um, do Are they bringing some labs to me or am I also running some labs to, to really get a good picture of that? Um, and then that that's often where we get into just gender differences and hormones. So as women are going through the pre to perimenopausal into the postmenopausal timeframe, um, progesterone and testosterone can fluctuate, often are generally going down over time, but the big key one is estrogen. So estrogen is declining during that time frame. That that is that is just part and parcel of that. Um, the amount that it declines is really variable. So for some women, it might be mild, moderate. For some, they're losing the vast majority of their estrogen over a very short period of time. That has a very big impact on our joints. They were used to estrogen level kind of up, up here, and then suddenly it's just not there. It's not available. And this is a time... Um, that this, this is very well established in research. This is a time where a lot of women are getting their first diagnosis of arthritis. They're, they're accelerating more. Um, basically, they're going from mild to moderate to severe quicker than men, their exact same age, quicker than women that are younger or older than them. Like that, it's a, it can be, a, unfortunately, a fast slide into joint degeneration during that time because of the, the background hormonal changes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Because I mean, I certainly know that, you know, estrogen levels have some really big impacts. And, and thank you for like clarifying that, you know, it's going to be a different experience for, you know, different women. Um, I'm curious, you know, just from a literature perspective, I mean, I, I assume as you sort of started going down this journey, a lot of the literature, or a lot of the research is done on men. And that women were kind of like, were we just kind of grouped in without any consideration of like the fact that, you know, our makeup, our genetic makeup and like our hormonal, you know, panel is so different. Yes. <laughs> in, in, a, in a short answer, yes. I mean, predominantly what the, the stages through research is they'll do what, what we can say, like a lab bench, they're studying a cartilage cell in a test tube and, and finding something out about it. And then they're going to mice or rats and, and seeing if the same pattern holds. And then going into human research is usually men. Um, and, and when we're talking about uh, cartilage degeneration and hormonal influences, there, there is some in women looking at estrogen. There's not enough looking at progesterone and testosterone. It hasn't been fleshed out as much. Um, but with women, estrogen and joint disease, uh, the, they're seeing the patterns that I mentioned of the earlier and worse arthritis and also a degenerative disc disease, which we can think of as sort of like a cousin to the osteoarthritis we're talking about. It's just happening in the, in the spinal discs. Um, 
And with men, uh, they're just predominantly looking at testosterone levels in uh, joint disease. In when are these when are these men getting an osteoarthritis diagnosis? Uh, what is their testosterone levels and how soon are they being recommended a joint replacement? And are they going through with that? And what is their recovery from that? And seeing vast differences with uh, when you're comparing men who are deficient in testosterone to, to men who have adequate levels. With um, women, I would say that there is not enough uh, interventional studies being done in this yet. It's more of just following women checking their levels. Okay. Where are you hormone wise? Do you have enough? Are you in the lower percentile, upper percentile? Are you frankly deficient? And also what, it, what is your current diagnosis as it relates to these? Do you have osteoarthritis? Kind of how, how much, how many locations in the body, how severe is it? And, um, and, and that's about as much that I've seen <laughs> that's as evolved as I've, I've seen as currently when you step back into the animal models, although human studies are always preferred because we can gra grasp a lot more information here. Uh, what, what they do in the animal models is, uh, is, is really, really interesting. And so how they trigger osteoarthritis in the female, I've seen rat and mice model uh, research, they'll take out their ovaries. They, they, they want to, they want to trigger osteoarthritis. They, they take out their ovaries. They, they cause them to be instantly in menopause. And then they, and then they see, okay, now we have some, some rats and some mice with osteoarthritis and how they, how they re reverse it is they inject them with some estrogen. We don't do injections of estrogen into human females. Um, we, we have a lot of different routes. Injection isn't one of them, but, but in the research model, it's, it's, it's about as conclusive information as you can get and saying what, what impact do hormones have on osteoarthritis? Well, you can just start it by taking out the ovaries and you can reverse it by injecting some estrogen. Okay. Now, how does this, how does like, so we would talk about like joints and cartilage, you know, is the impact of like hormonal deficit, like what is the impact of hormonal deficiencies on like tendons and ligaments, because, you know, we tend like, you know, I tend to see obviously more clientele in, you know, 40, 50, 60 with like, you know, shoulder tendinopathies and, you know, just kind of that irritating, you know, connective tissue that seems to just take a really long time. Well, those tissues take a really long time, generally speaking, but, you know, is it, is part of the length of it somehow related as well to all the things I would been say it's about. suspicious. It's suspicious yeah. that it sure can be. And, um, and, and then as far as like research backing up that suspicion, um, estrogen and progesterone, there's some information I would throw, throw thyroid in there as well. Um, there, there's definitely some information out there where they're looking at generalized joint pain or, or generalized like, does this person just have body pain, whether or not they have the specific diagnosis of fibromyalgia? Any and all of those have been uh, shown to be associated. So worse generalized joint pain, body pain, and fibromyalgia symptoms if someone is deficient in thyroid. And I've also seen studies of deficient in uh, progesterone. Okay. So kind of, you know, hormones are important. Very important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so... Okay. So oftentimes we think of like degeneration, chronic tendinopathies, right? The word chronic there, 
Um, I'd rather I'd rather replace it with persisting versus chronic because it does have a slightly different tone to it. Um, you know, we don't think of them as reversible. So is there evidence out there? Are there studies? Like, are we just managing these things or can we actually create a meaningful change in the tissue? I would definitely say, yes, we can create a meaningful change in the tissue. I would say that um, the, the research to back us up is early and has a long way to continue um, to, to build that up. Um, depending on the specific factor that we're talking about, some research has been looked into it, some has not. I can um, just say from my, my clinical work with patients, I've been in practice eight years. And so I've had a lot of patients where I've brought them through my process of evaluating, not just because I, I love and think hormones are important. It's not, not everyone has a deficiency. So this is an individualized process of figuring this out, but going through that process and addressing whatever factors we need to, um, I see that we're not managing. I see that we're not just barely hanging on and have to keep uh, replacing or suppressing something indefinitely that it really is a building someone up, getting them to the process where they're on that path of regeneration, addressing all of those factors that were causing the degeneration. And they continue on that way until they fall off a horse or <laughs> do so, or just, they're just living their life and out backpacking and sprain their ankle or something like that. Like the only reason I'm seeing them for pain after, after that is because they've, they've been doing a good job of outliving their life and, and just something, something happened. Um, in terms of what we can see uh, for like visible changes, actual um, reversal of cartilage degeneration. So seeing the cartilage actually coming back um, yes, we, we are seeing some of that in the regenerative injection therapy world. It, we haven't really touched on that yet, but in uh, the prolotherapy and PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma injections, uh, those, those are used in sort of uh, the, the local environment to stimulate healing. And there, there is studies that have been using either x-ray, MRI, or even arthroscopy, which is like a little scope that goes inside and takes a picture to, to show that um, before and after treatment, cartilage is, is reversing, uh, is growing back. The, the degeneration is reversing. And um, uh, some of the testosterone trials have been seeing that before, also with men. And we need, we need more of this. I'm seeing that if I'm identifying a, let's say thyroid or estrogen deficiency, and we are addressing that, we're correcting that. I'm seeing clinically that patients are reducing their joint pain, better able to respond to their other, maybe they're getting physical therapy or chiropractic care and just felt like they were plateauing or not really, uh, progressing or kind of quote unquote, holding the treatment and that they're feeling more comfortable and able to do the exercise program that they're, and maybe their other, uh, provider has been recommending, uh, but it was just really uncomfortable. So I'm seeing clinically big, uh, big effects, but we haven't verged from that. We have, we haven't progressed from that animal model of intervention with hormones and women and joint pain uh, from the animal to the human that, that I've really seen yet. So we got still lots of 
lots of work to do. And I would say, I think that like women's health studies have sort of been lagging behind just overall. So hopefully we're going to see, start seeing some additional changes with respect to that, because, you know, we are still genetically different, like than men. And so how different interventions are going to impact our health is going to be different. That's just the way it is. So we need more research. Now you mentioned like regenerative like injections and I'm just going to go there because we just started talking about it. Um, So you mentioned Prolo and PRP. Can you maybe kind of just speak to what that is? And like, are these, I I mean, you've already brought up that there are studies to show like regenerative. um, So it sounds like it's not just like a gimmicky thing that you're spending lots of money on doing there's actual um, benefits to it, but when is using something like that appropriate? Yeah. So the, the regenerative injection therapies um, and, and I, and I kind of focus uh, on the prolotherapy and the PRP. That's, that's what I do in the, in the office. They are providing, uh, they're stimulating what's called a stem cell migration signal. So wherever the injections are going, it's in essence kind of tricking the body, making it think it was just injured, a new fresh injury right there. So it's reinitiating the healing cascade as, as we call it, that then promotes um, all of the growth factors and, and everything that's needed in the, in the area to heal that tissue. And the, the right candidate um, is hard to definitively describe without getting my hands on someone, but, but how, I, how I can describe it is that we've done a lot of that background work, a lot of that foundational work. Um, because you're right, they, they can be from hundreds of dollars to, to certain types or thousands of dollars. And so to, to go down that path and still have, let's say, a thyroid deficiency really just makes no sense. You'll be kind of banging your head against the wall, not really getting the, the success, not really getting the effects of the treatment if there's a lingering deficiency in the background. Um, so, so what I, I guess the, the common profile, I guess I could say, is that we've been doing that foundational work. A lot of things are healing, but something is nagging us. Something is like that old injury that, you know, I fell off a ladder 10 years ago and I've had a chronic SI pain ever since. And a, a lot of my generalized aches and pains got better, but I'm still feeling that that, that area is, is weak and, and still a little bit twingy. And that would be where my antennae are going up and saying, okay, sounds like generally speaking, someone's overall um, body is just in a, in a great regenerative state, except for this one, this one area. And so then that's where we can be really efficient and focus in and, and decide what, what kind of injection therapy um, uh, would be the right fit for this person. There's a lot of the research on these injections depends on the exact type. And uh, prolotherapy is the original regenerative injection therapy since the, the, the earliest research was starting in the 50s. So that's, you know, 70-ish years of, uh, so it has a good body of research on um, osteoarthritis of large joints. Um, there, there's just thousands and thousands of studies out there on it. Uh, with PRP, it is uh, slightly newer, but I would say from the from the 90s, and then certainly the the decades since has been an exponential increase in in research. Um, most of these are for 
the, what, what they're looking at is knee osteoarthritis, hip, shoulder. It's just easier from an imaging and study standpoint to focus on, on like one big joint, for example, just, just knee osteoarthritis. There's a lot of other things that I would put under the umbrella of regenerative injection therapies um, that are stem cells or are called stem cells, but may not have stem cells in them. This is a very new field. It has a lot of excitement around it. It does not have a lot of finished published studies uh, to, to support it. So I think um, population-wide and even in the medical community, there's a lot of buzz and there, there's a lot of interest in this field. Um, I think I, I just have to, to believe that in the next couple of years, we're going to see more uh, research on what type of stem cell or stem cell-like product is the best fit for what kind of condition. We don't have this fleshed out yet. Is it an amniotic or umbilical uh, stem cell is best for hips or shoulders? And also um, these are very kind of, they're very high-tech uh, to, to get to get a product from an um, umbilical cord into a vial and then inject it into a joint is a, is a very um, there, there, there's a lot of uh, lab Logistics. technology yeah. involved yeah and so these are these are not inexpensive therapies they they are in the thousands sometimes tens of thousands and so what I what I hope and what I expect to, to see in the research is for that for the research to guide my ability to go through this informed decision decision making process with my patients to know okay that that one out there is I mean it could cost ten times the cost of prolotherapy uh, but but it's but it has ten times the effect because if it only has two or three times the effect, I don't, I don't really want to, to go that route. And so there's, there's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of questions uh, about that. And so it's, um, it's, it's really new and I'm keeping, keeping tabs on it, keeping my eye on it. I just don't know exactly how, how that piece is going to be evolving. But I like, so what I really want to highlight from everything you've sort of said, which is, you know, my, my sort of belief as well is like, let's, do all the conservative, like, let's make sure we've established that really, really well before sort of spending thousands of dollars on injections. I think, you know, sometimes where it gets, you know, maybe perceived as gimmicky or like, oh, I got that. It didn't work for me. It's like, did we have the environment and the lifestyle to optimize and then support the therapy? Right. Yes. And uh, gosh, I, I could do a whole nother podcast on like, why did the injection not work for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because wh who, who evaluated you? What were they looking for? Did they just look on an x-ray? I've heard of that. I do not know how I would tell someone whether or not we should be doing this injection therapy, that injection therapy, where we should be putting it based on imaging alone. That's, that's not how I learned it. I learned it with my hands. Um, I like imaging. I use it. It isn't informational, um, but it is not the end all and be all guidance. So if someone just looked at an x-ray or MRI and said, yep, that's where we should put the, the fancy $10,000 injection. Uh, I, I need, I need my hands, uh, on, on that person to confirm that, to, to see what else are we missing? 
Is it something that's a little bit more sneaky, hidden, a, a tendon or ligament injury? Like, yeah, maybe they do have some um, degeneration of the cartilage there, but the pain is not coming from there. That's, that's where we need the, that, that's where we cannot skip that physical exam. And, um, and, and yeah, so depending on the type of professional who's doing these, they, they may just approach it from a more, I'll, I'll just say a more conventional standpoint, like the type of provider who might have been doing your knee hurts. Let's put a cortisone injection in it. Maybe now they've, they've evolved quote unquote, so to speak to say your knee hurts. Let's put a stem cell injection in it. Still, still maybe there's a big piece missing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to, um, switch gears here for a minute and talk about kind of medications and supplementation. Um, you know, maybe we'll talk about medication because, you know, I think medication like pain management, pain medication is super wonderful in the acute phase to, you know, make it a little bit more comfortable, make it a little bit easier. Like for me as a physical therapist to kind of get our process, you know, get our process started. Um, I don't think it's, well, the evidence is quite clear that it's not good in persisting, um, you know, in persisting pain that it doesn't really have good, I guess, value compared to like the side effects. I just want to know, like, can medications, um, like slow down the healing process? Like, does it impact the process? Is it good to be taking these things long-term? You know, what is your perspective on pain medication as it relates to joint health? Yes, they definitely have their risk versus benefits. And depending on the category, I would say there's some big concerns that are not, um, not known or not brought up or just not, not dialogued between the prescribing provider and the patient. Um, so, so starting with the, with the, like the opioid types of, of pain medicines. Yeah. Very commonly used acutely, not as prescribed blanketed everywhere, uh, as, as in years past, that's also created its own set of issues. Um, but when it, when it comes to uh, the opioid analgesics, it's not as much a matter of slowing the, the degeneration or, or impacting the, the actual cartilage healing. It's more of the perception of pain. So, um, so op opioid hyperalgesia is the fancy name for you've been on a painkiller for a while and that painkiller is actually making your pain worse. It's making your brain more sensitive to the pain. And so I find that a very difficult, very sticky situation uh, to navigate with patients because the thing that they're using to reduce the pain is making their, their, their perception, their experience of the pain way more acute than someone who would have had the same type of injury or condition and had never been on the painkiller to begin with. Um, the category of medications that is actually thought of, I would say thought of generally speaking is very, very benign and used very, very routinely, but does impact joint healing is the, uh, the NSAIDs, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And that's our very common over-the-counter pain relievers uh, 
like ibuprofen and Aleve and those those kind of medications. So they're they're really, really commonly used as like, oh, I got some aches or pains or a headache. And so I'll take one of those. And um, and as far as we can see, you know, taking taking one like every once in a while doesn't doesn't do um, that doesn't really have the negative impact on the joints. However, I have a lot of patients coming from big medical systems where they're taking they're recommended to take 400 or even 800 milligrams ibuprofen twice a day. And that much that much inset influx uh, twice a day, day after day is working on the pain relief because it's blocking certain inflammatory reactions, but our immune system does more than just inflame us. It has a positive reason for existing. And some of the, some of the um, healing processes that the immune system is trying to trigger also get blocked with those. Um, so, so the research out there is showing that for some people, and again, we don't know why, I, I would believe that it's just our, our bio-individuality, like how some people might have an allergy to a medicine and others don't. Um, our bio-individuality to, to ibuprofen or leave means that some people that are taking uh, a pretty good dose of these all the time are going to be reducing and, and very impacting their, their joints ability to heal. Is there any, I guess this is the tricky question. Is there any way really to know if you're that person that like, you know, quote unquote, has the allergy compared to not like, how do you know when it's time to like, think about it differently or get off or maybe reconsider the use of the medication? You know, when, when is a good time to have a conversation with your medical provider about the medication? If, if you're take, let's just say that that example of four or 800 milligrams of ibuprofen twice a day and your joints still hurt, my, my theory would be that maybe that ibuprofen isn't doing much or enough or, or it's, it's obviously not, um, (laughs) not, not doing, doing what it's being recommended for. So having a conversation with that provider, or if they're not familiar or comfortable with talking about doing a tapering off of that trial or substituting something differently, um, depending on the kind of provider that might be a different kind of medication that doesn't have that same type of action or, or obviously someone who's naturopath or holistic, all, uh, integrative functional medicine, some type of practitioner in, in that camp, uh, can help with finding, finding replacements. There's a lot of, um, good literature. So we'll transition into talking about supplements. There's a lot of good literature out there about some supplements working just as good as these in terms of, uh, in terms of pain. Um, the, the ones that I see and, um, and use and looking into the literature and seeing, okay, that there there's pretty good, uh, support for these would be glucosamine and curcumin, and also some, um, I would say it's starting to be better established in uh, fish oil or omega-3 fatty acids. And so, um, so yeah, so there, there's a lot of different dosages. There's a lot of different forms of these supplements out there that also impact their, their effect, your, your success with them, and, and also what the literature finds. Um, with glucosamine, for example, depending on how it's basically packaged up in, in the bottle, 
the the different other ingredients when you when you look in the very fine print of the of the supplement the other ingredients can impact the the absorption and and really the action of the glucosamine so so there there's there's a wide variety out there and i had in my book kind of piled together all all the good information all the good literature i could find on glucosamine to talk about the different different forms um what what it is um uh, also found with like, I, I will use glucosamine with patients way more commonly and not, uh, than say with MSM and glucosamine or some big giant joint complex supplement that has like 20 ingredients in it. And like a teeny tiny bit of glucosamine, um, that that's not, that's not typically the route that I'm going. Uh, and then, so with curcumin, for example, uh, it, there's also a big variety in the different forms. And so that has an impact on absorption, basically how much of that 500 milligrams, for example, in that bottle is actually getting into your body, depends on the form, depends on how it was processed, um, depends on what that final product is. And with that being said, there's information out there that the curcumin can be used very successfully to help taper people down again, under medical guidance, but to be able to be a supportive tool as someone is trying to reduce that pain medication or that NSAID medication, instead of just, well, stop taking it or take less and, and, you know, good luck. (laughs) That that's not um, a very good plan, but, uh, but something like curcumin can be used as uh, in, in that plan to, to help someone more successfully uh, reach that goal and that it, that is shown to be just as effective on, on pain levels as, as a, um, like as, as a Vicodin, for example, or, or as, as an ibuprofen or relief. So, so it really does have uh, the pain relieving positive benefits without that um, immune system inhibiting negative effects. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that piece. And uh, I guess my next question is going to tie into you sort of just like briefly kind of slipped it in there that um, you sort of have a book and in your book, you talk about these. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So uh, Younger Joints Today published last year, 2020. And that is my, um, my, my synthesis of everything clinical and everything that I can find research-wise to really have a very strong evidence-backed perspective that in some realms can sound sort of sort of wild, sort of out there, sort of, what do you mean? Like this, this is against the, the paradigm of what we've been uh, learned and, and being told about how joints just fall apart. And, I, and I'm out here saying, no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't if, if you correct everything. So, so Younger Joints Today is my seven-step approach going through some of these that we were talking about um, in terms of evaluating your diagnosis and nutrition profile, hormones, metabolism. And then I do have a, a chapter that's just looking at supplements and what have the strongest research for improving joint pain and those that actually have been shown to slow down the arthritis process and even reverse it. And, and then I, and then I end uh, the last chapter is, is going through similar, similar uh, research review with the injection therapies 
And I put that at the very last for a reason <laughs> that we've already touched on, which is you got to go through the process. You got to build up your foundation before you go into the fancy high-tech uh, injections. I love them. I use them. I think they work great, but they can't be a panacea, one size fits all for everybody because we got to figure out if there's any of those other interfering factors in there first. What? You're saying it's not a magic pill? Like I just get one of those and I'm good to go? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I do not. Nope, I, I do not. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel like it. Like if, if someone really does, like I was saying, have that 20 year SI sacroiliac pain and we figure it out, we hone in and do the injections and it, and it actually like, wow, works and, and they're healing and feel totally better three weeks later. It can feel like a magic pill for some people and that's great, uh, but it's because we've done done the rest of the work. Absolutely. And I, and I mean, I've had a client, you know, with a, a, a chronic um, like tennis elbow situation, but she was also working with a naturopath and doing all of those things, improving thyroid health and, you know, um, and yeah, she, she had PRP done. And I mean, after attempting all other things, like she was considering, you know, leaving her profession because she couldn't do it. Um, and she's like, you know what, within three weeks, it was like, it never happened kind of thing. Right. So, but you know, she had gone through, you know, she had gone through and like put in the work and, you know, it just kind of got to a, got to a point that, you know, she needed that, that piece. And so, yeah, to her, certainly it did sound like it was that miracle, but she also had the good foundations for it to, to take, you know, its effect as well. So, um, so your book available on Amazon or like where, where yep. can people find the book? Yep. It's on Amazon. And for people who, uh, aren't, or don't, don't use Amazon, then it's directly through my website, drcortal.com as well. Excellent. Where else can people find you, follow you? What are you up to these days? Tell us, tell us, uh, tell us everything. I'd love to, because I'm always up to a lot. <laughs> uh, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Angela Cortal, and that's where you can see uh, what I'm sharing. I do a lot of educational videos and posts, articles, blogs. I um, also in, in recent months have been putting together and every couple of months holding a four-week program, which is Foundations of Resilience. And that is sort of the bridge between everything that we've been talking about and that I have in my book and my private practice where this is a online group, small group format where we are going through the pillars of figuring out like, what can I figure out for myself? What has been looked at for me, for my metabolism, for my hormone health? And, um, and, and, and because I'm all about educating and I think this is such an important topic for people to, to really understand um, what their imaging has shown. I, there's, there's just countless people I've worked with in the past where they don't, they don't understand. They're not told, um, they they've gone through this huge workup and don't really know, uh, what, what is going on. They're just told, oh, well, you're not a surgical candidate, but, but not really, um, the rest of the process isn't illuminated. So that's, that's what this is about is, is me guiding people that aren't just in Oregon working with me as patients, but having, but being able to, to uh, reach people wherever they are in any country in any time zone and, uh, and be able to go through that initial process of understanding what has been looked at for me, what is currently being recommended 
um, have these pieces of, of my metabolic inflammatory systemic, all, all of that health ever been looked at is, is this relevant and, and how can I put together my own plan of attack moving forward so that I'm not feeling stuck there. I was stuck. <laughs> it's very common for people to feel like they're at the end of the line and, and they're just stuck there. And there's nothing more, quote unquote, nothing more to be recommended or done, but they sure don't feel uh, like they're in a good place and feel like things are just getting worse. So that that's where the foundations of resilience comes in. And, um, and so, yeah, every, every couple of months, I, I, I lead a, I lead a small group through that. And so you're saying this is kind of like a bridge from sort of like DIY, I'm just going to read about it to like, I'm not quite ready to work with somebody per se. I'm kind of like in that in between where like things are not really good, but I don't really understand or know like what direction to take. So you kind of walk them through like, well, what might be good blood tests to get? Or if you've had them, what do they mean? Or what blood tests might you want to consider? And it kind of gives people like some actionable steps, I assume, like some things that they can start putting together for themselves so that if they come in to see somebody like a naturopathic doctor, they've already kind of have a baseline understanding and have some things that they're looking at can really aid that process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a it's about really understanding like what has your workup been so far? What what could it include from where you are right now? Uh, because I, I have people contact me and I can't see them as patients if they are in New York or if they're in in the UK or something like that. So there's a lot that you can do on your on your own with this kind of um with this group guidance to, to figure out your path a little bit more before you decide, like for, for most of these people who are kind of the reason that I created this is, is I had a lot of people contacting me saying there isn't someone who does what you do near me. So, so yeah. we're um, like, where, where should I fly to? And although sometimes that may be necessary, I feel like there there's this, this piece of information uh, that, that you can go through and with our, with our guidance and just with illuminating like what these past labs found, what these past imaging found. It's, it's about people really understanding their process in order to figure out what, what can I do before you start booking those tickets and flying somewhere if, if that really is needed or, or if, if through this process you find out like, okay, like there, there's some really big, like you said, actionable pieces that I can do that are sometimes all that's needed. Absolutely. And where can people find out more information about this program? Uh, so also on my website, drcortel.com. And then that is backslash foundations. Have a, have a whole, whole page, all, all of the information on there. Excellent. And we will post all the, we'll post the links in the show note, um, in the show notes to make it easy for, uh, people to find out your information and get in contact. So do you, do you have an upcoming group that's happening soon? Yes. So, so our next one is going to be starting in a few weeks, the 1st of March. And, um, and so we'll be opening up registration usually about a, a week prior. And uh, something that, that I wanted to pass along to your listeners is uh, that if you 
like this idea, read through the foundations page, decide this is something that I'm interested in doing. You'll see at the bottom of the page, there's a couple of different levels, depending on how someone wants to join, basically what level of support and additional um, resources. And so, so there'll, there'll be a discount code to do basically a, a, an upgrade from the intro to the VIP level. So, so the prices that are the intro level, you'll be getting the VIP stuff <laughs> for, for the intro level with, with the coupon code that we'll pass along to you. Excellent. And we'll, we'll make sure people can find that in the show notes as well so that uh, it makes it easy and accessible. I want to thank you so much for you know sharing your knowledge about this because I think it's really important to shed hope that there is a way to live a better life. Like it, right. The whole context of this podcast is really for me to like try to illuminate to people. Like there are things that you may not necessarily be aware of out there that can help you move forward to living the life that you want to live. And so thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge. And like, I learned lots, I don't know about anybody else, but selfishly I learned a lot. Um, and so thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, this 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 is my whole reason is just sh- sharing sharing the message, sharing the light. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I certainly encourage people to be sharing this out like crazy because you know osteoarthritis, tendinopathies, like all of these things. You know, if you know somebody who's having a hard time with an old injury or just an injury that just, you know, is nagging them and slowing them down, share this out because, you know, again, it might just be that little spark of information. Maybe they get the book and like it completely changes their life. Share it out, change people's lives. All right. On that note, we will see. I always say that, see you. We won't see you. We will connect with you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.